Welcome to the Chronically Well podcast. I am Kelly Dixon, your host, and this is the place where we talk about chronic illness, we talk about mental health, we talk about how to live well despite and even because of chronic illness. This episode is going to be a solo episode, just me talking. Uh, no one that I'm interviewing today, and it's been a long time coming because uh, if you listen to the any of the other creativity series episodes, you will hear me referencing this research and this uh, article that I talked about on my blog. And um, I... <laughs> I really wanted uh, to take you beyond, like I wanted to go into all of the science behind why we heal um, and how engaging and creative acts could actually bring us to that healing. And I wanted to go inside the brain and I wanted to go inside the body. And um, I bought every book and I read every research article. And what I found was that we really just don't know. Like, even though there's um, a lot, a lot in the brain that that tells us about why we function the way we do and why we remember things the way that we do, and um, we could take class upon class and talk about that for hours, but that's what it, ultimately what I decided not to do today. So what we're going to talk about today is some different modalities of creativity that research actually has found to be healing not going to be able to tell you exactly why I can tell you some theories Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own story and I'm going to give you some tips on what you can start doing even if you don't think you're an artist or you're creative I promise you you are creative Um, and I'll give you some stuff to do so that's what we're going to do today talk all about creativity. Uh, I wanted to start with a quote because I love quotes and I'm a nerd. So uh, this is from, this is Peter Kostenbaum. I think I said his name right. He says, creativity is harnessing universality and making it flow through your eyes. And I just had to start with that because it's beautiful. Um, So in my opinion, art writing, music, all of it, any of it. It's just our measly attempt to capture a fragment, just a tiny fragment of everything that logic really doesn't have a chance of explaining, right? Like we've all been there listening to the music um, that just, we can't, we can't put it on paper. Like that feeling that, you know, creeps up your spine, it crawls across your neck, into your jaw, it comes into your eyes, it makes you cry. You don't know why or what it is about that song exactly, but it just gets you. It, yeah. And, um, it doesn't have to just be a song. It could be, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the sound of a loud engine. Not me. I hate that. It's like the worst thing in the world for me. Um, But, or, I don't know, a piece of artwork that just moves you. Um, 
a math problem. <laughs> I don't know that anyone's cried over the beauty of a math problem, but you get where I'm going with this, right? Like something that brings you to that place that which we cannot explain in words. We try as writers. That's what we're constant. I feel like that's all we really are trying to do is explain that. But um, for this episode, I'm really, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the science, but um. I'm also going to kind of talk about that river, the whole reason I started River and Quill, um, and just to talk about that river, that flow of something that I can't fully explain, but that saved me. So um, I think creativity is honoring what you feel. So a lot of what we'll be talking about today is talking about how you can honor what you feel. How do you even do that? And um, I really do believe that it's impossible to live a chronically well life without embracing your creativity. Um, And research actually supports that. I don't know if it says it's impossible, but um, it confirms that it's much more possible if you engage in it. So... I'm going to start with a story Um, because people, usually whenever I'm interviewed, um, whenever someone asks me what it was that I did that healed me, first of all, that's an impossible question to answer because I don't actually know. Like, I, I, it's not very scientific, right, to look at all of these different factors that were happening for me as I started to heal. I do know um, that positivity, the thought of I can heal was huge for me. Um, I think I've talked about that before. I'll talk about it again, I'm sure. But also, um, so let's go back. It was um, 2015. My youngest was six months old. Um, I... I came, I had, I, I found out I had a chronic illness. I have interstitial cystitis. I'll do a whole other episode on that soon. I know a lot of you have been asking questions on that. Um, and it took me a full year. So let's skip forward to 2016 before, um, I started seeking any sort of help emotionally for what I was going through. So I'd like to take a little aside right here to say if you are newly diagnosed or let's say you've been dealing with a chronic illness for a significant amount of time any amount of time i don't care um i think you need to go get some support for yourself emotionally so um whether that's counseling a support group something um, I really recommend seeing a therapist, someone who's licensed. Um, that's been a godsend for me. Uh, go do that. So that's my first my first assignment for you. But um, I didn't do that until a year in. So, okay, summer 2016, I decide that I'm done with feeling like crap. And I'm done with feeling terrible about my, myself. I really don't feel good about the fact that I don't want to 
be alive anymore. You know, like I understand that these are not good thoughts to have. And I just wanted to go, I wanted to start healing. I wanted to stop worrying so much about being healed in the moment and just try to figure out what, what is all of the, everyone's talking about healing. What does that mean? You know, what is, okay, what's yoga and what's like, what are all of these things? Is there a different level to our being other than just physical? And yeah, I always believed that, but how how does that impact healing? So um, I decided a good first step would be to start seeing a therapist. And I did. And she she believed in like tapping and I don't I don't necessarily think that that's not um helpful for some people it was a little strange for me probably because I just didn't fully believe in it um but she said something that was really helpful and this is not the same therapist I have now um just a little disclaimer in in case Barb is listening my new therapist um but she did say something that was very helpful for me um she asked what it was that I did that made me feel better. And it took me a minute, but I was like, you know, I've always really loved to write. Like when I sit down to write, I just feel lighter when I'm done. And it's just a way that I can connect with myself on a deeper level and connect with other people on a deeper level. And she said, okay, well then that's what you have to do. 20 minutes a day, you're going to write. So I started doing that. And, um, I'm not going to (laughs) say that it was the writing that healed me, but it was that act of engaging in creativity, engaging in meeting that person again that I had left behind in the busyness of becoming a mom in, you know, I had three kids, four years old and under at that time. Well, no, when I saw her, they were five and under, but, um, It was a lot and I was dealing with relationship stress and um, and I had neglected that creative aspect of myself that I think each of us has there is something that each of us is that is, is put here to produce to offer to be a part of and it's that flow it's that river and I hadn't been in it for a very long time so writing for me I do believe was healing at that point I noticed every month um symptoms started to decrease was it just the writing definitely not but it was that mindset of positivity of living being alive and embracing that and I did that through my writing so I do want to talk to you guys a little bit about the science about some of the research articles that I found and literally in front of me right now I hope that this isn't is a a testament to my creativity and not my lack of organization but um, I have like three pieces of paper with everything that I wanted to talk about. I have two notebooks, two books. So don't mind the shuffling noises that you're going to hear, but um, most of what I'm going to be talking about comes from an article by Stuckey. I think you say it's Stuckey. It could be Stuckey. That's terrible. I I like Stuckey better. Stuckey and Noble. It was written in 2010 and it's the name of the article if you would like to look it up you can still find it online i believe it's called the connection between art healing and public health a review of current literature so in 
research. Um, sometimes people do their own little experiment, and then sometimes people write an article where they collect all of these different research articles and they kind of sum it all up. So that's what Stuckey and Noble's article is about. And um, I love this quote. I'd like to start talking about what they found with this quote. It says, through creativity and imagination, we find our identity and our reservoir of healing. The more we understand the relationship between creative expression and healing, the more we will discover the healing power of the arts. Pretty cool. Um, so I have, I believe it's a four, three or four part series on my blog. If you want to look into this even more too, you can look at what I wrote about it a while back, but I'm going to be talking about most of it here. The first one is the healing capacity of creativity. So let's talk a little bit about what they found on music. Um, we know that our minds are very powerful things, yes? And we know what it feels like when you turn on that song that you love, right? Uh, I just listened, I just was watching Instagram stories of um, my sister-in-law and my brother went to see Maggie Rogers and I, just watching her Instagram story of like the sheet dropping and Maggie Rogers singing Falling Waters and everybody in the crowd with their phones up and singing and that moment, right? You know that moment and how it feels and it's good, right? It's good. And it made me curious and not that moment, but just the fact that when I started writing again, I started listening to music again. And so when I read this article, uh, I was pretty fascinated because they found multiple studies that music therapy lowers can lower anxiety it decreases depression, it decreases cortisol levels, which guys, if your cortisol levels are high, all of the rest of your hormones are gonna be completely off. Um, I had <laughs> this tested like a year ago when I was going through a really stressful time and my cortisol levels were ridiculously just insane. And music can decrease heart rate, respiratory rate, myocardial oxygen demand psychological and physical symptoms and ding 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 pain i know a lot of you listening to this are in pain and you're looking for ways to decrease your pain hey i found an answer for you it's music um in addition it increases our immunity so you're getting sick a lot just listening to music could help it increases our sense of control our feelings of wellness and we kind of know already that it improves mood so, um, yeah, music can have a significant positive effect on our health. Uh, if you're interested, I did do my top 10 songs of all time on my blog, if you want to see. Uh, that was difficult, and I promise that I'm probably going to change it in like a year, but, you know, it's fine for now. Uh, so the other thing they looked at was visual art and um dance and writing so let's talk about visual art what did they find there just like they found with music those who were active in visual art therapy actually found a reduction in pain and a reduction in negative emotions uh there was a study and i'm gonna butcher the name 
but it's Guillemin, I think, Guillemin. Um, and patients were instructed to just visualize and then draw their heart disease. So these patients all had heart disease and um, they were supposed to draw it. And they found that this actually helped the patients better understand their illness. And the authors also of Stuckey and Noble discussed um, a qualitative study. So when we talk about qualitative, these are studies that are looking more at sort of observations, opinions. They're not like um, doing an experiment, right? They're not like manipulating anything. They're just looking. And um, they looked at a study in which cancer patients were asked how engagement in various types of visual arts, so things like textiles, making cards, um, collages, pottery, watercolor, acrylics, all of this, not just painting. Painting was one of them. But um, they found that these activities helped these cancer patients in four ways. It helped them focus on positive life experiences instead of the cancer. Um, if you're a cancer patient, you know, you probably spend a good amount of your time thinking about your cancer. Um, so this was a way to kind of take them out of that and think about something else, something beautiful. Uh, it enhanced their self-worth and identity by providing them with opportunities to de demonstrate continuing challenge and achievement. Uh, it enabled them to maintain a social identity that resisted being defined by cancer. Ooh, okay, I'm going to take a little step aside and we'll come back in a minute. Um, but that identity piece talked about identity a lot because it's so important especially when you have a chronic illness or you have um, you know cancer or you have something that's um, creating a constant state of pain uh, it's very easy to identify as the illness and that's big reason I started River and Quill because I think that there I know that there is more to us than what we're sick with um, and we get lost in the diagnosis. And, and it's, I'm not trying to shame anyone or make you feel guilty over it. This is a natural thing that has to happen for a while, I think. We have to, you know, okay, well, how, you, what do I do? I have this. I'm sick. But um, actually, you're well. You just have a body that's sick. And so if we can find a way to identify with something outside of our illness, outside of the sick, uh, and art is a way to do that, that's huge. So, okay, coming back. The fourth way that these activities, these visual art activities helped these cancer patients um, was that it allowed them to express their feelings in a symbolic manner. And really that's a lot of what art is, right? It's that, that connection, that way of saying how we feel in a way that we can't always say as a writer it's my job to try and say it but um visual art is that right so i loved that um another study that these researchers looked at was done by Pugue et al. Pugue and Associates, okay. Um, they found engagement in creative arts therapy helped enhance patient psychological well-being um, because, again, decreased negative emotions, enhanced positive emotions. 
And there's also correlations between involvement in creative arts and improvement in social functioning and bodily pain and more, even more stable like blood test results. So um, not just, hey, do you feel better after doing that? But looking at the test and saying, actually, test results are better. Uh, they looked at caregivers and to those who with illness, they also found that creative arts interventions reduced stress, decreased anxiety, increased positive emotion. And there's, a, I could go on, I could go on and on and on and on. But basically what these studies all find is that if you give patients access to that visual art intervention, um, their overall well-being was better, significantly impact and impacted, and particular stress, anxiety, and pain. So um, it's something to think about. Dancing, who likes to dance? Um, I love to dance. I'm not particularly good at it, but. <laughs> I enjoy it, Um, but they found, again, basically everything I'm going to tell you about today is that, yes, this helps with healing. Dancing, it helps with healing. So Stokey and Noble found that uh, moving the body in a creative way, it reduces stress, it reduces anxiety, it promotes well-being study of cancer patients found that when they implemented dance and a movement program, it increased their quality of life. It increased shoulder function and it increased body image. Um, There are other studies that found increases in self-esteem, cognitive, and psychological well-being. So um, start dancing. Just start moving. There is, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about um, spontaneous dancing no it's called something else I don't know I would love to find someone to talk to me about that on this podcast so if you're listening to this and you know someone send them my way um the last thing that I want to talk about are the effects of writing and I'm going to give you an assignment and some other things to do here uh but you've already heard my story you know how important writing has been to me Um, and again, our studies found that relative to control groups, um, so that's a group of people who's not doing the thing they're being, that we're looking to see if it works, um, ones that are not writing, um, they found that individuals who write about their traumatic experiences, they show better improvements in physical health and in fewer visits to their doctors. Their immune systems work better. Another research by Pennebaker found that uh, because writing occurs on multiple levels, because we're not just, because we're thinking about what we're gonna write and then we're feeling it, right? It's the emotion of what we're thinking. It's social because we're putting it out there for other people to see. It's biological because we're actually using our body to write it. Um, It's been really hard for researchers to kind of put it into a theory um, of healing because it's on all these different levels. Uh, But either way, Penny Baker found that it has positive consequences um, leading to long-term improvement in mood and health. And I'd say I am an example of that um the way he found this 
guidance is that he had participants write about their experiences just for 15 to 30 minutes. They were given assessments before and after, and they found that emotional writing increases our immune function, it reduces our stress hormones, it reduces blood pressure, it reduces doctor's visits. And the results were universal, which means that this held true in all different types of populations, um, different cultures, ages, genders, and races. And these were repeated by other authors, and they found it all to be the same. Uh, one last study and then I will be done. Uh, but they found with poetry, uh, multiple researchers who described it as a way for people to refine their voice. Again, that identity piece. Are you feeling me here? Um, and come back to wisdom or ideas that they are unable to get with ordinary language. So it's that freedom to come back to you right? So important when you have a chronic illness. Um, Carol, 2005, writes that our voices are saturated with who we are, embodied in the rhythms, tonal variations, associations, images. Our voices are embodiments of ourselves, whether written or spoken. It is in times of extremity that we long to find words or hear another human voice, letting us know we are not alone. So um, if I can do anything for you right now, if anyone is listening to this and you feel alone and you want some healing and you don't know what to do, just hear my voice, tell your voice, you're not alone and there's so much you can do. Um, one last interesting thing, I bought this book. Um, it's called The Neuroscience of Creativity, right? Because I was going to get all nerdy science with you and tell you about the hippocampus and the <laughs> every part of the brain and how it relates to creativity. And then I sat in that research for like six months and never did anything with it because there's just, it's no one actually cares. <laughs> no one actually cares. Um, but I did find a piece of interesting theory in the book that I think is not too incredibly terribly boring. They said that there is a green eggs and ham hypothesis. This was put together by Hot and Trump 2017. And the, 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 the basis of this hypothesis is um, obviously about Dr. Seuss um, and his classic book um, that he wrote, Green Eggs and Ham. And this was all written from a set of 50 words. Rumor has it that this book was written on a bet um, that uh, he made um, with the book's publisher to write. He, they, he bet him, th so I think it was Bennett Cerf. Um, he bet him that he could not write a best-selling book from a set of 50 words. And... Uh, Theodore Giesel, guys, I have such a hard time with names, Giesel Giesel, Dr. Seuss, um, he said, I'm going to do it. And so he did. And so the idea behind this theory is that when we put constraints on things, sometimes it actually improves or boosts creativity. So constraining this, to this book to 50 words actually produced one of the most creative read books to children of all time. So um, 
they've actually found in other studies that yes, this is true, that restricting, constraining uh, has a positive effect on our creativity. So isn't that something? Do you see where <laughs> do you see where I'm going here? Um, when you're sick, when you have an illness, when you have a traumatic experience, when you're um, at a point of life where you feel restricted by something or someone or some feeling or some experience, I think it's very easy for us to feel less than or to feel like we have less to offer, uh, even in a creative aspect. And what this theory found, which I completely 100% agree with, is that when we're constrained, when we're put, when we're restricted in a way, it actually boosts our creativity. Um, so you're actually in a position to be ridiculously creative and it's going to help you heal. So that's kind of cool. Um, so what, what should you do? Um, okay. So I don't know. It's different for everybody, right? But um, I would start, if you don't have anything else that you can think of to do, start by writing in your journal. Get a journal, handwrite it. Um, Sit down every morning. Um, I stole this from a book, um, Artist's Way uh, by Julia Cameron, and she just talks about um, writing every morning. I've always kind of done that, but when you really make it a habit, Um, there's something to it and even at the very least if you just write about what you're going through right now if you write about your pain if you write about your chronic illness I promise that it's going you're gonna feel lighter after you write it out Um, but you don't have to just do that there's so the ways of being creative are endless Um, I would just challenge you to find 15 to 20 minutes per day to engage in something creative. Um, Even if it's just listening to music, there is a study that I found and I cannot find the reference for you right now, but that just listening to music can restructure your neural pathways. So find that music that moves you, that makes you cry, or maybe just makes you dance. Something that makes you happy. Find it and listen to it. That's creative. That's a creative act. You don't have to be Picasso to be able to do something creative. Um, And what actually makes a creative person? They do have some uh, recommendations in this nerdy book that I bought. Not recommendations, but some explanations of what creative people have been found to be. They tend to be more open to new experiences. They're really attracted to complex at heightened aesthetic sensibilities. They are intrinsically motivated. They're unconventional. Uh, they tend to have a higher sense of confidence. They tend to be more independent and ambitious. Um, and all of those things are really predictive of creative achievement. But if you're not those things, you can still be a creative person. If you are those things, my bet is that you are a very creative person already. Okay, so what was the point in all of this? Well, I wanted you to know that creative acts, they heal. Listening to music, 
dancing, painting, creating, writing, doing these things, it's healing. I found it in my life. I've seen it in so many other people. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with that identity piece, with that positive thinking that we're not living in our sickness. We're reaching beyond and engaging in something deeper, something more, something universal that all of us can understand because as personal as a creative act is, as deeply private as that experience is, it's also an act that connects because when you share that art or you share that feeling, that emotion, you, you listen to that song with the crowd of people around you, you all know you're engaging in something together. There's that flow, that river that maybe you jumped in on your own, but you're there with everyone else. And it's beautiful and it's lovely and I encourage you to find something. If you aren't already, find something that you can do that allows you to engage in that creativity that I believe is put into each of us. So you don't have to be Picasso. You don't have to be Cezanne. Just be you. Find something that helps you be more you. So you can identify with that. You can identify with the well instead of the sick. That's all I've got for you today, friends. I hope that this was informational and that it's given you something um, that you can can start doing and implementing into your life to start healing. And remember, it's healing. You don't have to worry so much about being healed, but just think about every moment as an opportunity to be healing. So if you're enjoying this podcast, I would love to make sure that you are continually being notified of any new podcasts. So be sure to subscribe. Uh, if you want to really help me out, you could go over to iTunes and leave me a rating. Uh, that lets me know that uh, I'm not just talking to the air and that you, that you actually uh, are there and appreciate what you're hearing and I can do more of it. I'll talk to you soon, friends. And until next time, be sure to live your life chronically well.